Bonjour and bienvenue to Bell's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou and this is episode 117. That's episode 117 of the podcast to help keep your Frenchy vibes fluttering and lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode, we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France and right around the world and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. So... Aujourd'hui, we are starting Series 4 of the Lulubelle's Francophiles. After a little mini break and a recent trip to France, we are embarking on more episodes connecting us all to France through some fabulous stories from wonderful guests or sometimes just even chatting about my own experiences. Recently, I spent a couple of months in France and through some podcast episodes every now and then over the coming months, I'll chat about various experiences I had. During Series 3, the Ludabelle's Francophiles opened up for sponsorships. So if you or your business aligns with an Aussie or US or even a global community getting their Frenchy vibes flattering, then get in touch via the Ludabelle's Francophiles website. There are a number of ways for listeners to stay connected with us at the Ludabelle's Francophiles too, with all the links in today's episode's show notes for my YouTube channel, The Francophile Fix, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles website, Instagram, a fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles newsletter, which will be delivered direct to your inbox from time to time with extra Frenchie inspo if you subscribe by emailing the word subscribe to bonjour at littlebellsfrancophiles.com. The newsletter is about to make a return after a brief break during my shenanigans in France as well. So, aujourd'hui, I'll be going into a little bit of detail about some things to consider when setting about planning and heading off on a road trip in France. For those who have listened to the podcast before, or if you follow the Little Bells Francophiles on Instagram, you will be no doubt about how much I adore a French road trip. So much so that I managed to squeeze in a few separate road trips on my recent French visit. But the one I will focus on today is where I started in Dieppe and drove all the way across the north of France from Normandy to Brittany. Now, you're probably wondering how to choose where to go for your road trip. There are so many amazing places to visit. And we, you're absolutely right, to de fait. There are so many road trips to explore. But what I did was consider the type of weather I'd be travelling in for the month I'd chosen for the trip. And then I chose an area of France that best met the weather I prefer, which for me is anything not obscenely hot and humid. Because I did a road trip with my hubby Paul last year during the canicule, the heat wave, with temperatures that were around 40 degrees most days. And it was insane. And not the good insane, like my teenage children say, but horrendous. I can't believe I have to get out of the car in this heat to go sightseeing type of insane. It was mental. But apart from the weather, you might like to consider which part of France is your fave or perhaps which region you haven't yet got to visit. Maybe even festivals that will occur during the time of your trip could influence your choice too. For example, before Christmas, I did a road trip with my beautiful friend Sarah from Be My Guest Immersions, and we spent much of December exploring the Alsace region with all its villages to Noel. 
which of course you can't see dressed up to celebrate Christmas if you don't travel during that period to the villages de Noel. So this year, at the start of June, I decided to explore the northernmost parts of Normandy across to Brittany. Clearly, to be travelling on the roads, I needed a car. Now, I have a little story of woe about car hire, which I won't go into graphic detail about, but suffice to say that not all car companies are equal. In my recent trip, I purposefully booked cars with three separate companies for the various road trips and cars I required so I could independently, without having any kind of sponsorship arrangement in place, be able to rate my experience. I booked the cheapest car hire when I was travelling on my own. So if it was a shocker of a car or a little bit dodgy, then I wasn't subjecting anybody else to that as well. But I never expected that the company I had booked a car with for my 10-day road trip would tell me as I arrived by train to their car hire desk at the train station that they had cancelled my booking. So there I am standing with all my luggage alone at the train station, at the car hire desk, ready to collect my car for the two-hour drive to my first accommodation that night, only to hear that there is no car for me. No reason given, no offer to call their other neighbouring car hire offices, no assistance to seek accommodation as I now can't drive to where I'm staying for the night. All the four men, mind you, not just one, four men standing behind the counter said to me was that they had emailed me a couple of hours earlier. So I do not, after that experience, recommend that anyone book a car through Alamo. Now, I'm not sure whilst I was on the train in transit to collect my car when it was that I was supposed to be checking my emails so that I would have known that there wouldn't be a car waiting for me as I'd booked for. But after the whole event, when I checked to see if there was actually an email from them, it wasn't even from Alamo. So just be wary as some car hire companies trade under various names at the same time. And some of their common practices are not that great. Now, I understand if another client doesn't bring back a car on time or they have an accident in a hire car, then perhaps a good impact the type of car that you end up with. But it is really important to book, I think, through a company that is big enough to have a fleet to be able to cover those problems. So when you arrive, there is still a car there for you. I ended up making an arrangement with another car hire company whose office was next door to Alamo, and they had a car at one of their neighbouring offices in the village that I had my accommodation booked that night. So back I got on another train, picked up my teeny tiny Fiat 500, the only hire car left anywhere in northern France that day, I suspect, and I finally started my road trip. I'll give you a brief rundown of the places I went to on this road trip so you can have some points of reference as I chat further to you. So I started my road trip in Dieppe, then I moved across to Honfleur, I stopped briefly at Deauville before continuing to Bayeux, then Mont-Saint-Michel, across to Saint-Malo, then Dinan, and I ended up on the rugged Bretagne coast in the tiny village of Pordic before catching a train back from Rennes to Paris. Some of the towns and villages I stayed in were quite varied from one area to another. There are many towns near the coast where the areas closer to the beaches are obviously, you know, a little bit more swanky with the parts further away being a little bit more basic and perhaps also a little bit friendlier for your budget. 
If you're only spending one night somewhere like I did sometimes, it can be worth spending enough for a clean, good quality bed and a private bathroom, but there's probably no need for the breakfast or kitchen facilities. It's hard to transport food when you're traveling in your car or sightseeing through the majority of the day and then moving from place to place. So I spent one night in some places at hotels or Airbnbs that absolutely met my needs and were terrific. But then I spent a little bit more of my traveler dollar when I stayed a few days in one spot to ensure I had a place where I could store food in a kitchen so I could cook at home a little, have some washing facilities, good parking arrangements, and somewhere to relax that was also going to be pretty enough to feed my soul. I also had a combination of Airbnbs booked well in advance together with one booked only the day before I needed it. I stayed in a combo of hotels and even a guest house that was on the list too. Some of these I booked as a result of a recommendation from friends or previous podcast guests and others just by stabbing in the dark on the internet. And if you ask me my opinion after all the various ways of getting somewhere to sleep, I found some were just as beautiful with gorgeous hosts when I booked with only one day of notice as I did when I booked months in advance. So my only tip is to have very clear criteria about what you want and stick to it. You know what is important to you. For me, that's aircon in summer. That is an absolute must. As is parking at the front of the accommodation if I have a car. Sometimes my old weary legs need some assistance to recover, so a bath to soak in at night is definitely a plus for me every few days. Now, as I said before, I started this road trip in Dieppe, and for one very good reason, I have watched an episode of Rick Stein's Secret France a squillion times where he ate fish straight from the docks in Dieppe, and he raved about it so much that I thought I'm absolutely must go there. It was also the place that was always mentioned in my French textbooks at school, so I thought it must be somewhere worthy of a visit. I stayed in a hotel a little on the outskirts of Dieppe because I was only staying for the one night, and then I drove to the city centre to check things out after both checking in and again the next day. On my first night on this road trip, even though Rick Stein had recommended the seafood restaurant on the port, I have also heard him often say that dining at a local truck stop or local small hotel restaurant sometimes, surprisingly, provides amazing food experiences. So I decided to return to the hotel that I was staying in as I checked out the menu earlier and it looked pretty good. I was really surprised by the standard of the meal as I had a divine entree of langoustine and fish for main course, which was cooked perfectly. Now, whilst I sat there, I also noticed the place become more and more packed with locals. So I realized that the brilliance of this restaurant was not a secret. Rick Stein is right. Do not judge a book by its cover. Fabulous food experiences can be found in all sorts of places especially in France. Now, Dieppe is essentially a fishing village and a port town. There's loads of history, including from World War II, like many of the northern beach areas of France, as well as some history from much further back when William the Conqueror departed from Dieppe to head off to the Battle of Hastings in 1066. These days, though, there are loads of cafes, shops and restaurants and a brilliant boulangerie that I found. Now, while I'm just mentioning a boulangerie, a little tip 
for finding the good boulangeries in towns that you don't know. Look for the one with a queue of locals coming out the door and down the street like I found. The French locals I have found will not line up for something that's just ordinary. So with my fabulous French pastries in hand, I explored the town a little. Now, while Dieppe has some medieval buildings, it's not the prettiest of towns everywhere. It has a beauty in its toughness and resilience, though, that really resonated with me. It's got a port that is quite lovely to look at, but also some beaches just slightly out of the main town, which are absolutely gorgeous in their ruggedness. It's definitely worth a visit. I left here to head to Enfleur, which was about a two-hour drive. You could do the drive in an hour and 15 if you used the toll roads and freeways, but I purposefully set my Google Maps to find the routes that avoided tolls because then I meandered through loads of these beautiful little French villages and I found some magic places that would be completely missed if I was travelling on a freeway. I would see the roof lines of those villages but that is so not the same as actually getting to drive through them and having those wow moments every time you came around another corner. So I stayed the night in Enfleur and I explored the main central part of the town near the port on foot from my accommodation. That was a hotel in the main street. Oh my goodness, Enfleur is such a beautiful little village. The port has restaurants and shops surrounding the water with mussels or scallops being the specialty at nearly every restaurant menu displayed out on the street. So I settled into a table at one and ordered a bolle of Normandy cider which is a little earthenware cup of the local apple cider, which was delicious, and a serve of moufrit with the mussels also cooked in wonderful Normandy cider and cream. Now, I order moufrit a lot and I love them all over France, but I hadn't had them before with the cider and the cream and I have to say it was absolutely incredible. I'll seek out a recipe and place it on the website to recreate wherever you might be around the globe. And if you're a bit of a whiz in the kitchen and your creation is anything like what I had in Enfleur, you will want to make it again and again. It was delicieux. Now, after spending a night in Enfleur, I drove to Deauville the next morning. Deauville has a famous racetrack and in relation to the real estate there, a lot of money is spent there in Deauville. On the surface, it looks really swanky, but for me... I don't know that my opinion is widely agreed with, but it just didn't have the soul for me of Enfleur or the other villages that I visited in Normandy. It's absolutely worth a visit, though, and everybody that I've spoken to, all of the reviews rave about it. So perhaps it's just me, but a day trip might suffice, in my opinion. Only an hour or so from there is Bayeux. Now, I found something that will stay with me forever on my drive from Enfleur de Bayeux. And it's not the Bayeux Tapestry, which I will talk about in a minute. As I said, I avoided the toll roads to find the magical pockets of the country France and I saw a sign pointing to Jerusalem Cemetery. Now, I searched for the cemetery and got lost for a little while, which took me on a gorgeous little route through a dreamy little hamlet. But when I eventually found the cemetery... I saw that it contained the graves of 47 English and one Czech soldier who died there during World War II. 
Now, I have been before to the big cemeteries commemorating the soldiers, but there was something about the intimacy of this beautiful little cemetery that just pulled at my heartstrings that day. There were, quite oddly, I thought, many officers buried there, but also one soldier aged only 16, Private J. Banks. I thought of my boys at home and I thought of this soldier's mama at home, poor Mrs. Banks, never to see her boy again. I cried for a while and even though the gardens there were impeccably kept and every grave had some kind of flowering plant that was just beautiful in front of it, I picked a little flower from the roadside and took it back in and placed it at the 16-year-old's grave almost in my heart. It felt like I was leaving a flower from one mother in memory of another mother all those years ago. It was quite a moving moment for me on my own where I felt a beautiful connection to the past and to the foreigners who had left a bit of their heart there in that little pocket of Normandy. Because when you are driving around Normandy, evidence of the war is still everywhere. One thing I actually noticed in Upper Normandy was the amount of camping cars on the road with people visiting the Normandy beaches, commemorations and memorials. Now, I'm not covering the World War II beaches in this episode, except to say that if you are planning a trip to visit those World War II memorials, do not forget to visit the neighbouring villages and regional areas because they are absolutely exquisite and you may find little magic moments like I did at the Jerusalem Cemetery. So that night, I stayed in a village not far from Bayeux in a terrific apartment that I booked on Booking.com and headed the next morning for a visit to the Bayeux Tapestry. Now, this is a tapisserie, or actually a work of art, I think, made from embroidery or needlepoint rather than actual tapestry. And it was created to tell the story of the Battle of Hastings and the defeat of the English by the Normans in 1066. Historians think that it was almost certainly created in southwest England and then brought back to be displayed in the newly built cathedral in Bayeux. Given that the majority of the population couldn't read or write during that period, it was like a form of propaganda telling their version of the Battle of Hastings in pictures. Now, it's displayed these days in a dimly lit long room under special lights and when I closely examined the whole length of it, I was blown away by the absolutely amazing work done oh, almost a thousand years ago or so now. Even looking at the linen that it was sewn on with the precise stitches, it's just an incredible connection to the people of that era. It was stunning. Now, from Bayeux, I travelled to see Mont-Saint-Michel and then to Brittany to St. Malo, but both of those destinations will be covered in more detail during upcoming episodes of the Little Bells Francophiles as there is just a load to talk about with both of them. So I will take you now to the town I visited after St. Malo, which was Dinon. Now, the town of Dinon is sizable and definitely worth a stay, but it is the historic little port that is down a hill at one end of Dinon that got my touristy juices flowing. I drove down a steep hill with what looked like a Roman viaduct crossing over it, which is actually a bridge, and then I saw a little river with a few shops, restaurants and houses all in medieval style alongside. 
There were loads of boats on the river with locals or holidaymakers hiring boats for joyrides and kids playing games on the side of the river where they'd throw in a big magnet on a string to see if they could hit a round metal token on the floor of the river and pull that back out to take it and redeem for a prize. There were people wandering everywhere eating glass and sorbets and meandering the medieval streets winding up the hill. I just loved this area so much that I returned here on my last day in this region to have what became my fave meal in Brittany, a galette complete, which I like to order with the addition of champignons and a bolle of citra. So after dinner, I stayed in accommodation for a few nights that I only booked the day before on Airbnb, but it was one of the most gorgeous places I stayed in and I will definitely return. It was a very cute traditional stone Britannia cottage in the little village of Pordick. It had an exquisite garden and it was only a few minutes' walk to the beach on the rugged North Brittany coast. It was also not far from some other sweet little villages in Brittany that are so worth exploring, such as Montcontour, which is a plus beau village de France, and a number of other villages that I just found as I meandered through the local roads. Sometimes, as I said earlier, I think it can be better to spend some nights in the one spot and make little day trips from there just to give a little respite. So you're not always on the go so frenetically all the time. And you can just slow down and even sleep in for a day or two because being a tourist, you're usually up at the crack of dawn, you're going like a mad thing all day and it can be exhausting. So having a few days where you can take your time departing in the morning and go and drive and see some sites that you're not necessarily booked in with tickets and have to be at by a certain time. It can actually be quite a lovely break. And for me, sometimes those little moments end up being my favourite memories of my trips. It also gives you the opportunity to get mundane stuff like clothes washing sorted. I know it's boring to be practical, but it must be done even while you're away. So after 10 days, it was time for me to leave Brittany and return my little Fiat 500, which had served me so well, and catch the train from Rennes back to Paris. Now, my last little tip for you here is when you're dropping the car back somewhere different from where you collected at the start, ensure you get a very detailed direction of how to find the drop-off place. Because I had allowed an hour and a half before my train departure to drop off the car and get to the platform and all that stuff, thinking I would get there at least an hour before departure, I ended up making the train with just under five minutes to spare, which was too close for comfort for me. Always be aware of the closure time for lunch too. Now, this isn't usually a problem for car drop-offs, as there are often lock boxes to pop the keys into. But it is more the fact that there is no one around to ask for assistance if things don't go to plan. So in my case on this day, heading back to Wren to deliver the car, there was a heap of roadwork being done at the station, meaning I couldn't get in the usual entrance. And as it was lunchtime, there was no one to ask. It all ended well and I made the Paris train, but not without some huge stress. Now, if you're planning a trip through any of these places that I've mentioned, go to the Little Bells Francophiles website to find more info about each of them. The recipes for the Normandy specialty of moule frites cooked in Normandy cedra and cream, plus also the Britannia specialty of a galette complete will also be in today's episode notes. Now, for each episode, I often add a song 
to the Ludabelle's Francophiles Frenchie Spotify playlist. And today, I am going to add a song I heard a lot driving along this road trip. It's called Adieu Mon Homme by the wonderful French singer Pom. It has a sound that is a bit almost Celtic. It feels like it might fit right in when heard in that wild northwest corner of France with its Gaelic influence. So have a listen on the Little Bell's fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist and you can find that link with all the other links from today's episode on the Little Bell's Francophiles website. Just head to episode 117, that's episode 77, and the website link is in the show notes for today's episode as well. Alors, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for today's Ludabelle's Francophiles episode. I hope you're enjoying being transported to France avec moi. To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Ludabelle's Francophiles on Insta. That's where you will also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Ludabelle's Francophiles guests. Then come and join me next time on the Ludabelle's Francophiles and together we can stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir de moi, Louise Prichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt mes amis.